to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. There's just one week left in Swiss rounds in the Chaos Cup, and today we're talking about week four. Welcome to episode six. Just a quick note before we get started. We did not talk about the last three games of week three, and we're not going to talk about them in this episode. And that's because there's a lot of stuff to talk about in week four, and we want to go over the standings going into week five. So if you want to see how those games played out, feel free to check them out on twitch.tv slash EVAUNITO2 or on the Blood Bowl archive channel. You can search for Blood Bowl M-A-M-L and check it out that way. Now on to the episode. Game one of week four was a reptile dysfunction. Nick Satan's Lizardman team versus Irish Wristwatch Venger's Underworld Denizens team. A reptile dysfunction 1-1-1, one, one, and one. Irish Wristwatch 2-0-1. Oh, a reptile dysfunction would come into this game down two players. He had a 12-man roster. He'd be down one skink, but more importantly, he was down one of his now five Sauruses. So only coming to the game with four Sauruses, he'd have to pick up a journeyman as well. Venger very cleverly dipped into his treasury to pick up one Bloodwiser babe that was to help protect against all that AV7 he has on his roster. When you get knocked out, it's a 50-50 roll to come back onto the pitch on the next drive. Each Bloodwiser babe that you have gives you a plus one to that roll. So very smart pickup by Venger, I think. But man, this game had skulls galore. It was it was a little insane. And the insanity started on turn one. Right on turn one, there was a pitch invasion. Four KOs from the pitch invasion, and they were all against a reptile dysfunction. None against Irish wristwatch. The ball got kicked to about one quarter of the pitch. A reptile dysfunction went to pick up the ball at the end of the turn, like you do, but failed the pickup. And because of the position of the ball, and because he's against an underworld team that, you know, they have this, uh, they have speed. That was a risky move not to spend the TRR. Typically you save that pickup for last or close to last on your first turn. And if you don't make the pickup, no big deal. You don't have to spend the TRR. The ball is pretty well protected, but it wasn't very well protected here. And the danger was that the ball would scatter forward. And that's exactly what it did. The ball scattered forward, which gave Irish wristwatch an opportunity to pick the ball up on turn one, Irish Wristwatch attempted just that. They failed to pick up with sure hands. That was a three plus that they failed twice. Lucky enough for a reptile dysfunction. A reptile dysfunction went in for a lot of fouls in this game. They have a skink with sneaky git. Sneaky git means if the foul doesn't succeed, even if he rolls doubles, he doesn't get caught off the pitch. So very good use of that player. Very good spill. Spill. <laughs> very good skill pickup. He ended up getting... Two injuries out of that player, and the second one was saved by Wenger's Apothecary. Just a really powerful skill to have on that skink. Nick Satan went for the ball again here. A second failed pickup, this time by the skink. Again, he doesn't spend the TRR. And this shows the very good TRR management by Nick Satan. He only has two TRRs. He needs to be careful how he spends them. And he did a very good job here 
managing his TRRs and keeping them for when he needed them. By turn three, a reptile dysfunction cages up, and a valiant effort is made by Wenger to keep the defense together, but Nick Satan, in kind, does a great effort trying to break it apart. Positioning was the name of the game for a number of turns here. Nick Satan trying to break apart the defense, Wenger trying to keep the defense together. On turn six, there was a great use of blitz by Nick Satan to take a block with the cage SARS and move him right back into position. And that's that's an example of this positioning and how well it was being leveraged, in this case by Nick Satan. But again, both teams doing a, a really good job of it. Nick Satan did a great job of pushing the cage forward. On turn seven, a double skulls roll saved Irish wristwatch, but it didn't matter. A reptile dysfunction took a skink, the ball carrier, to a three-dodge, two-way GFI touchdown in turn eight. Well done, my Nick Satan. They would go up 1-0 at the half. Irish wristwatch would get one more turn before the half would be over. They take a foul. They get a KO out of it, but they got called off in the process. They traded one skink for one goblin. I think that's a pretty good trade, and that's because the skinks are the only ball carriers that Nick Satan has on his team I think that was a good call by Wenger. Wenger also caused an injury on that turn, and that would put him at a one-man player advantage going into the second half. It'd be 11 v. 10 in Irish wristwatch's favor. On the kickoff, the weather would turn to pouring rain, and that means there's a minus one modifier to all catch, interception, and pickups, which is bad for Irish wristwatch. He's the one that has the potential passing game. Nick Satan doesn't. On turn nine, a reptile dysfunction's defense would go aggressive on the ball. Irish wristwatch would cage up, but fail to pick up again with sure hands, this time in the rain, of course. A reptile dysfunction would counter by harassing the ball with two skinks. Irish wristwatch would break down their cage to try to remove one skink. They got a push out of it. That was a very good call by Wenger to, again, positioning with their players very smart by both coaches he had a cage most coaches most coaches would say i've got my cage i feel safe wenger says you know what i can break down this cage i can block you down and i can still secure the ball very good presence of mind by wenger irish wristwatch would then succeed on the five plus pickup finally with sure hands kicking in and by turn 11 they would set up a half cage on the sideline a reptile dysfunction would respond to this by marking the half cage with two sarses and the crocs, the big guy. On turn 12, Irish wristwatch would make a one-die blitz with the GFI to give a positive dodge to the ball carrier, but then they tried to get another player into position to mark, and they failed with the TRR. That was a 75% chance of success. It didn't work out, and therefore the ball carrier was marked to get smacked, to get hit. But then... A reptile dysfunction would roll skulls yet again and chose not to spend the TRR. He took the both down result instead. The ball would scatter off pitch and back to Irish wristwatch, who would hand off to run down the hole to the 12-yard line. On turn 13, Irish wristwatch failed his troll's really stupid roll, but Wenger did a really great job all game long of ensuring that that roll was a 2+. plus, Really stupid, 
is a two plus roll. You have to roll it before you take your action. It's a two plus roll, provided you have a friendly player adjacent to the troll. If you don't, then it's a four plus roll. And of course, if you fail the roll, you lose your tackle zones and you lose your action for the turn. Again, Wenger did a really great job of ensuring that that was always a two plus roll. It didn't work out in this case. And unfortunately, because of that, it freed up a Saurus. A reptile dysfunction would then counter to blitz and surf a lineman and then use the blitzer to mark the Skaven ball carrier. On turn 14, Irish wristwatch's troll would kill a Saurus. Kristoff dies. That's another Saurus off this Lizardmen roster. A big blow to Nick Satan. Irish wristwatch had an opportunity to move the ball carrier forward, try to save him. He tried to dodge another player before moving the ball carrier, failed the dodge, and unfortunately, a reptile dysfunction would then be able to pick this ball back up. On turn 15, all Irish wristwatch could do is try a YOLO uphill blitz, but they failed the GFI roll. It didn't work out. A reptile dysfunction would themselves fail a handoff to try to go up 2-0 on turn 15. And on the final turn, Irish wristwatch had a slim shot to score, but they roll a skull on the block on a skink. And then a reptile dysfunction themselves had one last shot to try to score. That didn't work out. 1-0 would be the final. A reptile dysfunction would win their week four matchup. Game two of week four would be neglected of Nuffle versus a minor matter. Each team coming into the week, 0-0-3, neglected of Nuffle War Horseman's Pro-Elf team versus a minor matter, Artificial Bunny's Underworld Denizens. Neglected of Nuffle came into the game two players down, had to pick up two journeymen. Also paid for extra team training out of pocket to get three TRRs to put him three TRRs versus three TRRs of a minor matter. That's that's a really expensive pickup, but I think it I think it was a decent play. The problem was a minor matter would get cheering fans on both halves to bring them up to four TRRs each half of the game. Neglected enough will be on offense in the first half, and they once again were super aggressive with their marks. I, I don't think that's working out. <laughs> I had to spend the TRR on the pickup as well on the kickoff return. Pick the ball up too early. If you if you save the pickup for the last or close to the last action on the kickoff return, you can often save yourself the TRR. The ball usually is too far away from the opponent for them to even threaten to pick it up. So going for the pickup early means you have to spend the TRR in in order to keep the drive alive and to get more actions or to get all of your actions out of your players for that turn or else you risk losing a turn. So unfortunate that he went for the ball pickup right out of the gate, should have waited toward the end of the turn, had to spend one of his three TRRs as a result. A minor matter would then on their turn one mark the potential ball carrier, the thrower, with a Skaven lineman neglected of Nuffle on the following turn would go for a pass and it would succeed. Good reception, but they had no way to protect the ball carrier at that point. So now the ball was down pitch. It was in hand, but that that poor receiver was going to get blitzed down. And a minor matter had good positioning to get players into position before blitzing the ball carrier. They got the push on the blitz. They spent the TRR. 
Blitzer had the block skill, and so that was good. It was very good movement order by Artificial Bunny. By turn three, a minor matter would pick up the ball, and they'd set up a tight cage. Neglected of Nuffle now on the back foot on turn four. They took a dodge during turn four here, where they spent the TRR on it, and I don't think they had to. In Blood Bowl, TRRs are very, very powerful. They change probabilities greatly. So having one on deck, being able to threaten with one, changes things a lot. And you need to be able to use the TRR when necessary and also have the diligence to not use it when not necessary. When he took the dodge, he failed it, spent the TRR, but I don't think it would have mattered that the, the dodge player was down. So I think he could have saved himself a TRR in this case if he didn't if he didn't spend it on turn four, where you're not really getting anything out of the drive by keeping that player upright. By turn five, a minor matter will move their cage to mid-pitch, but Neglected of Nuffle realizes that the cage is with strength two goblins. So he marks three of the four cages, and then he takes a, a double dodge to a one-die blitz on the ball carrier with a blitzer, so he had the block skill, and he got the knockdown. Very good play by Neglected of Nuffle. If you, on a standard cross cage, on a standard X cage where you have four corners, if you can mark two of the corners, you can blitz, you can get someone in in the space in between, and you could probably get a one-die block out of it if you're considering, say, strength three versus strength three. And if you're doing that with a blitzer, now you have the advantage on that block. By, by marking that cage, by getting him in there, Neglected of Nuffle was able to, to flip the script and... and try to wrestle back this ball on their half. So very good move by War Horseman here. The scatter ended up being unfavorable for Neglected of Nuffle, but a minor matter in turn failed a goblin dodge to go off of the ball. The goblin has the dodge skill. He got a free reroll, failed the reroll, and that was a turnover. Neglected of Nuffle had an opportunity to score on turn seven. They decided to move the receiver into the end zone first. That would make the pass a long bomb. If instead... They would have passed to the receiver before he moved or maybe chose a closer receiver. They could have made that very risky pass a lot less risky. Passes are already very risky. You have to make at least two die rolls, the pass roll and the reception roll, and often a third die roll, the interception roll. The longer the pass is, the, the harder it is to get off. So if you can mitigate those risks, remember Blood Bowl is all about mitigating risks. If you can mitigate those risks in any way, make it a, a short pass. Make it a quick pass. That's preferable. Uh, the long bomb didn't work, uh, unfortunately, and Neglected of Nuffle was not able to score in the first half. Not only that, but the failed reception ended up going out of bounds, and the ball got thrown right back into where it got passed from. <laughs> then on turn seven, a minor matter got back the ball. They tried a backward pass, and it looked like they did this to try to avoid the interception. Ended up being a failed reception. I think they should have risked the interception to get the receiver into scoring position. We just talked about how you want to mitigate risks. So I understand the move, but this is an opportunity to score on the opposing team's half. Interception only only works on a six. I would have gone for it. I would have risked that interception and passed forward instead. On the final turn of the first half, Neglected of Nuffle suffered a turnover. They took a one-die unskilled block, and this is super risky. This is basically a, a coin flip. Ended up getting the both down result, and his own player got a smashed collarbone for this trouble. 
When you take blocks, you really want to make sure you have the advantage. That often means two die block, even often means you have a TRR on deck. If it's even if it's a one die block, you want to make sure it's skilled. You want to have the block skill versus an unblock skill. Again, you want to mitigate risks in this game. The second half would begin with three injured elves. 10v8, it would be on the pitch in a minor matter's favor. Neglected of Nuffle still had two journeymen on the pitch as well. Not looking good for Neglected of Nuffle. A minor matter, an artificial bunny, would set up a standard cagey offense, and they would they would run it very well. They would get the cage just outside the end zone by turn. 12, and then they would stall and go for blocks. Just standard KG Blood Bowl. Artificial Bunny opened up holes, ran the cage down the holes, did a very good job on offense. On turn 13, Neglected of Nuffle failed a dodge with the Journeyman. The Journeyman has the loner skill. Loner means you have to roll a die before you have to declare you're using a TRR, roll a die on a 4 plus. You don't get to use the die at all and you still have lost the TRR. So he failed the dodge. He had to spend the TRR to keep the drive alive. Failed it on the loner, loner reroll. You have to be very careful with the journeyman. You don't want to take your journeyman actions first. You tend to want to take those last because of that loner skill. All journeymen have loner. Artificial Bunny then would gracefully decide to score on turn 15. He wouldn't stall for any more turns. The kickoff would see turn 14 back to Neglected of Nuffle, they decided not to go for the score on turn 15 and instead decided to take more marks, still being aggressive with these elves. Didn't try to get the receiver in scoring position. On turn 15, the neglected of Nuffle ball carrier could have declared a blitz on the goblin to try to push down field. Instead, he tried to dodge past the goblin. Instead, failed the dodges. 1-0 would be the final. A minor matter would pick up their first win of the competition. Game three of week four would be Tracksuit Mafia versus Pity the Ghoul. Tracksuit Mafia coached by the current Chaos Cup champion Merrick. They are a chaos team versus Pity the Ghoul, a necro team coached by Dead Fred. This game would start with a turn one riot. That means that the first turn gets lost to the riot. So we'd have a seven turn first half. Tracksuit Mafia being a chaos team is, is looking to murder the opponent, gets a turn one KO, but ends up finishing the turn, knocking himself out on a both down result. So it would be 10v10 going into turn one for Pity the Ghoul. Pity the Ghoul naturally found itself marked a whole lot all the way across the pitch, ended up deciding to not take any blocks with the free werewolf. A Necro team, one of the best players on a Necro team is the werewolf. He did not take the block with the werewolf and ended up giving a lot of blocks back to this murderous Tracksuit Mafia chaos team. Fortunately, Tracksuit Mafia couldn't get any knockdowns on the following turn. And uh, they failed to dodge to reset their defense as well. Finally got a stun to round out the turn, but that put Pity the Ghoul in a good position to take a turn for one die blitz with the werewolf got a pow, then dodged back out of a tackle zone to get downfield and open a hole on the right sideline. Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul made a really smart move to mark with the zombie first to remove the opponent's assist on the potential frenzy follow-up of the werewolf blitz. This is something you'll see good coaches do a lot. A werewolf with the frenzy skill. The frenzy skill can be very powerful, but it can also be very risky 
on a block, on, when you take a block or a blitz, if you get a push, you have to follow up and then immediately block again. That means if you get a two die block on the, on the first block, you might end up with an uphill block on the next block. What Dead Fred did was move a zombie in to mark a potential assist on the follow-up block, got the push on the frenzy, and then that assist did not come into play on the follow-up. Very good move by Dead Fred. Unfortunately, Dead Fred found him in a position where he couldn't close up the half cage that he set up on the sideline, and that would result in the bar ball carrier getting surfed on a blitz. Tracksuit Mafia would recover the ball on the resulting throw-in. In turn five, Pity the Ghoul would make a blitz that resulted in an injury on Tracksuit Mafia's side. Tracksuit Mafia would use their apothecary, however, and keep the player in the game. Good use of the apothecary in that case. Tracksuit Mafia would then counter by picking up the ball, caging it up at mid-pitch. Then on turn six, Pity the Ghoul ended up being down to six players on the pitch, yet valiantly tried to reset their defense against this Tracksuit Mafia cage, but Tracksuit Mafia would have absolutely none of it. It was great positioning by both teams, but that great cage play would lead to a score on turn eight, and Tracksuit Mafia would be up 1-0 at the half. Tracksuit Mafia would have a two-man player advantage to start the second half. It would be 10-v-8 on the pitch, and again, with Tracksuit Mafia on offense, would have a really solid KG offense. He would open up holes. He would move the cage down through it. Toward the end of the half, he would get the ball carrier to safety, and then he would leave the cage behind to put on the hurt. This was a really smart play by Merrick playing this chaos team. He knew he could get the ball carrier by himself to safety where nobody could get at him, and so he could leave the cage behind to then go put in some hurt and do what chaos teams do and try to murder very smart, very good decision by Mer uh, Merrick. And even after that, he had good presence of mind to re-cage when Pity the Ghoul applied pressure to the ball carrier. He didn't fall into the trap of scoring early when he didn't have to, and as a result, Tracksuit Mafia would win this game 2-0. to zero. Game 4 of Week 4 would be Dead Man's Party versus Take the Wood, Take the Bad Dead Man Party. Coached by Malik is a Necro team, Take the Wood, Take the Bad. Coached by Avi Unit 2, a Wood Elf team. Dead Man's Party would win the coin toss and put the Elves on offense. I think that was the smart play. Elves almost always want to be on defense in the first half. That's when they're that's the only time they're guaranteed to have an 11-man roster on defense. On turn one, take the wood, take the bad, would cage up, and they'd use a war dancer blitz to open up a hole and run that war dancer down the pitch. Dead Man's Party would counter with a Werewolf Blitz on their turn one. Very good positioning with this Blitz. He got the Werewolf between the War Dancer and the end zone. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to take your hits. That's also where you want to be in defense against a possible receiver. Very smart play by Malik to realize he needed to spend those extra movement to get behind the ball carrier. Unfortunately, War Dancers have block and dodge. That means there's only one face on the block die that'll knock them down, and the Werewolf just couldn't do it. He ended up marking the War Dancer as a result with two players, one in the front, one in the back, and also brought back a third player to avoid the lateral movement by the War Dancer. Also a very smart play by Malik. He knew the War Dancer could leap out. He knew the War Dancer could dodge out, and he said, 
No way. I'm going to put three players back on that War Dancer. You only have two War Dancers. Take the Wood, take the Plaid. Has two positionals. It's two War Dancers. Everybody else is a lineman. So marking that player with, with three defenders, pretty smart call. Take the Wood, take the Bad would end up with a half cage on the left sideline by turn two. Dead Man's Party would apply pressure to this cage, but the Werewolf frenzied into an uphill block. We've talked about this before. You've got to be careful with Frenzy that the second block doesn't result in an uphill block. Because of that uphill block, take the wood, take the bad, got to choose the result. It would be a push result, and now the Werewolf was in position to take a two-die block coming back. Take the wood, take the bad, would block down the Werewolf, and then would take a block to open up a handoff to that downfield War Dancer. However, they would run out of time before they got to move the War Dancer. This would be the second time so far in this game where Take the Wood, Take the Bad ran out of time before they could finish their turn. This is something that's a big part of Blood Bowl. You've got two minutes to take your actions. You've got to make decisions. You've got to make them quickly. Take the time that you have, but you've only got two minutes. You can't take two minutes in one second. They really need to pay better attention to the clock. You, There's so much agency in Blood Bowl that one mistake can cost you the game. And that's an unfortunate mistake to make if you're just not taking an action because you run out of time. Regardless, on turn four, take the wood, take the bad, are able to position and assist to get a two-die block on the downfield werewolf by the downfield war dancer so that the ball carrier, who's the second war dancer, was able to take a leap to a positive dodge to score. Take the wood, take the bad, would go up one to zero in the first quarter. Second quarter would begin. Dead Man's Party would now be on offense. Take the wood, take the bad, would go too deep on defense. That's pretty much what Wood Elves do. They would protect the war dancers. They would put them in the middle on the back line of the two deep. Dead Man's Party would open the drive with a pickup to a backward pass for SPP. And I think this was really clever of Malik. He took the risk to get the SPP on a player that he wanted to get SPP on, and it was fine because the ball was fairly secure. Really smart play by Malik here. Building up SPP is one of the many parts of this game. Spreading out SPP is one of the many parts of this game, and Malik took this opportunity. He saw an opportunity, and he took it to get some SPP when he could. On turn five, take the wood, take the bad wood, use a war dancer to get a kill on a zombie. That zombie would fail his regen roll, and then the war dancer would begin applying pressure to the ball carrier. This is a tactic you'll see from this team a lot. They're very fast. They're high agility. They're going to apply pressure and go after that ball. You can bet that take the wood, take the bad. As soon as they can, they're going to pick up a kicker, and then that will give them ball control. When they're on defense, they could kick shallow and just try to grab this ball from a really slow team. With the pressure looming, Dead Man's Party would cage up and move the cage forward. They would send a, a werewolf down pitch as a receiver, but at this point, the second war dancer is in position to leap the cage. This war dancer has the strip ball skill. Strip ball means if you take a block and you push your opponent, it could be a down result or it could just be a push. If you push the opponent, he loses the ball, the ball scatters. So take the wood, take the bat, will mark the right two corners of the cage. They'll leap the war dancer in so he doesn't have to dodge to get into the cage. He'll take the one die blitz. War dancers have the black skill, so it's 
a skilled blitz, got the push out of it, and the ball would scatter out of the cage. Malik would actually declare at this point, he'd say, what a dirty move. And he is absolutely right. It is a grimy, grimy move. On turn six, that war dancer would get what was coming to him. Dead man's party takes the block on the war dancer and the war dancer dies. That's the cage busting war dancer. He would die. Thankfully, take the wood, take the bats. Apothecary would save him and he would leave the pitch with just broken ribs. On turn eight, take the wood, take the bat, would blitz down the werewolf receiver. That was the only player who was in scoring position. No one was left to score. Take the wood, take the bat, would be in the lead one to zero at the half. To start the second half, take the wood, take the bat, would find themselves on defense again. And once again, they, they apply the same tactics. They go too deep on defense and they start applying pressure to the ball carrier Almost immediately, they apply pressure to the ball to the left with two linemen. The war dancer blitzes on the right to apply pressure as well. And Dead Man's Party would respond to this with a cage at center pitch. Take the wood, take the bad did a fairly good job here of ensuring that they remain too deep in front of that cage to stall the cage's movement while the three harassers, which includes a war dancer, were behind the cage. This would force Dead Man's party to go for a pass, which fails. Passes are risky, even if it's a quick pass. When you are harassing a cage, when you're harassing a ball carrier, that forces the opponent to make decisions, to make actions, to roll dice. And when you force your opponent to roll dice, eventually those dice are going to fail. Because of this failed pass, possession would change on turn 11, Take the wood, take the bad, would cage up at center pitch. However, that cage would be marked in the front by two flesh golems. Flesh golems have a strength of four. The flesh golems naturally would take the blocks. Dead man's party could have blitzed with the white, decided not to, instead blitzed with the werewolf. The white might have been a better option. The werewolf was in danger of that frenzy push. He indeed got the push and then frenzied into an uphill block. This gave Take the Wood, Take the Bat an opportunity to move the ball carrier to the left wide zone. And the first action of turn 13 for Dead Man's Party ended up as a double skulls result with no TRRs left. This allowed Take the Wood, Take the Bat to set up a half cage and end up scoring on turn 14. On the final drive of the game, Dead Man's Party tried valiantly to get a werewolf into scoring position. These werewolves are very fast with an MA of 8. But Take the Wood, Take the Bad successfully defended against that werewolf with six players. The werewolf was the only threat on the pitch. So pulling six players back to defend against that werewolf, I think, was a good call. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would end the game with a three-die block on that werewolf and then a five-assist foul. Nothing would come out of it, but a good game by both coaches. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would win this one 2-0. to zero. The final game of week four would be Pips Pippi Fan Club versus Knee High to Nuffle. Pips Pippi Fan Club, coached by El Nubarino. They are a lizard man team. Knee High to Nuffle, Chaos Dwarves, coached by Clypheus. This game would be marked by superb action order by both coaches. Both of these coaches are pros. Knee High to Nuffle with the movement with those bull centaurs. Pips Pippi Fan Club with the strength with those lizard men. 
Pip's Pippy Fan Club needed to leverage the Lizardmen to get the blocks he needed. Knee-high to Nuffle needed to leverage the Bull Centaurs to get the speed, to get the distance, to get the agility that he needed. To that end, Pips Pippy Fan Club would be on defense to start the game, and they had a great, cautious defense. You'll often see big, bashy teams, especially Lizardmen teams with so much strength, just go bash, bash left, bash right, bash up, bash down. Pips Pippy Fan Club said, no, we're going to try to keep our defensive cohesion because our Sarses are in real danger of getting pulled out of position with marks. Sarses only have an AG of one, so they don't dodge. The only way they're going to get out is by getting a push or taking a blitz. So very, very smart play by El Nuberino to keep his defense intact. On the other side, on the ball reception, knee-high to Nuffle chose a bull centaur to pick up the ball. Bull centaurs don't have a lot of agility. They have a strength of four, they have an MA of six, but an AG of two, but ended up keeping the bull centaur back to receive, to get the ball into the hands of this really strong, really fast Bull Centaur. He needed to leverage that speed in this matchup. He recognized it right out of the gate. He got the Saurus's locked down and was able to run the two Bull Centaurs down the left wide zone. On turn four, Nehide and Nuffle would set up a dwarf blocker to get a surf on a Saurus with the ball carrier. This was a great trade, I think, by Nehide and Nuffle to not move the ball. If you can surf a Saurus and take a Saurus, one of these massive, really strong, really powerful Saurus's off the pitch, sure, maybe you're not moving the ball, but your ball's still in pretty good hands. He still had the good presence of mind to keep a defensive structure around his ball carrier. I think that was an excellent trade. And this showed great confidence by Clypheus that he knew where he was. He knew his positioning. He knew what the right call was. On turn four, the Pips Pippi fan club would receive the first of many failed boneheaded rolls, but they would get off a blitz on the bull centaur that would result in the ball going out of bounds and getting thrown back into the center of the pitch on the same yard line. Thanks to the boneheaded crocs on turn five, the bull centaur would be able to pick up the ball with a TRR and then takes the three GFIs to get toward the end zone and get to safety. Bull Centaurs have Sprint that lets them take three GFIs instead of two, and Sure Feet lets them re-roll a failed GFI. That's why they're so strong, and well done by Clyphus to take advantage of that Crocs boneheadedness. On turn five, Pips Pippi Fan Club would find the Crocs boneheaded again, and it would not even remotely be the last time. However, he had a Saurus on the sideline in danger of being surfed, took the uphill block to prevent the surf, and that worked out. Good presence of mind to realize that not all uphill blocks are bad. On turn seven, Nihad and Uffel would be forced to score. They would go up in the game one to zero. On turn seven in the new drive, Pips Pippi Fan Club would set up a half cage in the right wide zone. Really good offense so far, but they would run out of time to move the ball carrier into the cage that they set up. We talked about this in the take the wood, take the bad game. Gotta watch that clock. You'll run out of time very quickly. At the end of the half, the Pips Pippi fan club could still score with a skink negative pickup to a pass to a Saurus. It was a long shot, but the pickup failed. <laughs> At the beginning of the second half, Pips Pippi fan club would be on offense. They'd set up a loose cage on the very first turn of the half. On the next turn, they'd end up with a half cage on the six-yard line. Well done. 
but then by turn 11, the ball carrier would be marked and a bull centaur would be ahead of the cage. El Nuberino smartly moves the front corner Saurus of that cage to mark that bull centaur that opens up a hole for the ball carrier. However, he gets a little greedy with the blocks, takes a block all the way back at the line with no TRRs left. The block failed and that forced the ball carrier to get surfed. The ball would get thrown back in all the way on the opposite four yard line. And now Pips Pippi fan club would find themselves with just two skinks left on the pitch. The skinks are the only real ball carriers on a lizard men team. Because of the unfortunate throw in knee high to Nuffle would recover the ball and hold it for the rest of the game. They would win two to zero against the Pips Pippi fan club. These are the last two undefeated teams. And now Knee high to Nuffle will be the only remaining undefeated team going into week five with a record of 3-1-0. and So where does that leave us going into week five, the final week of Swiss play in the Chaos Cup? Dead Man's Party, a minor matter and neglected of Nuffle have all been eliminated. They will not be able to make the cut. Knee high to Nuffle is the only team guaranteed to make the cut at this point. Tracksuit Mafia is all but guaranteed to make the cut. Even if they lose their game, they have such a high TD differential of plus five. Even if they lose out on TD diff, they have so many touchdowns with seven, just second behind knee high to Nuffle, that it's going to be really tough to dislodge them from the top four. That means that this final week is very important for Pips Pippy Fan Club, a reptile dysfunction, pity the ghoul, take the wood, take the bad, and Irish wristwatch. Pity the ghoul, take the wood, take the bad, and Irish wristwatch all have six points apiece, a reptile dysfunction with seven points. Pips Pippy Fan Club currently with nine points, but the TD differentials are so close, the margins are so thin that if a team loses, then a winning team has a very good shot at making the top four cut. For example, if Pips Pippi Fan Club loses this week, they'll be at nine points with a maximum TD diff of zero. If Take the Wood, Take the Bad wins this week, they'll be at nine points with a minimum TD differential of zero. Both teams would also have five TDs four. So if it's equal in in points spread and Pips Pippi Fan Club loses, take the wood, take the bad wins, it would be a coin toss as to which team makes it into the top four. Pity the Ghoul, having already played the Pips Pippi Fan Club, needs a reptile dysfunction to lose. And then if Pity the Ghoul wins, they will make the top four. The big matchup to watch this week will be between two teams that aren't even playing each other. Take the Wood, Take the Bad, and Irish Wristwatch. Both teams sitting at six points. Both teams at a TD diff of minus one. Take the Wood, Take the Bad, currently barely inching out Irish Wristwatch by one TD four. Irish Wristwatch is playing a minor matter, and Take the Wood, Take the Bad is playing Pity the Ghoul. If Take the Wood, Take the Bad wins their game by a two-point spread, they more than likely make the cut. 
Irish wristwatch needs to win against a minor matter. A minor matter has been eliminated, but Irish wristwatch has not been. They need a win. They need to hope, take the wood, take the bad, loses, and then they have a real shot at making the top four. So it's a really exciting week. Four of the five games matter for the top four cut. All of the games, of course, matter for seasonal play. They'll all be exciting. We've got Chaos versus Chaos Dwarf. We have Undead versus Undead. We have Lizard versus Lizard. I'm very excited to see what happens here in this final week of Swiss. And then after that, it's going to be the semifinals of this very first competition in Season 2. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number 2. And watch archived games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other, forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your guys.